for the average person, once you lose trust in what the government are saying, well, that, what that does is create this huge burden of research that you would have to do to try and make up your mind yourself. And most yeah. people don't have time for that in their normal life or inclination. Welcome to Thunder Off Script, a podcast for lovers of freedom. One of the purposes of this podcast series is to bring out into the open ordinary citizens' experiences that have been sidelined or neglected in mainstream coverage of the pandemic. Today's podcast is offered in this spirit. Today's special guest prefers to remain anonymous for reasons he will explain in the interview. I'll call him Liam to preserve his anonymity. Liam is an Irish man in his early 40s who lives in Dublin with his wife and one-year-old daughter and works in the IT industry. He has noticed the growth of an atmosphere of fear and intolerance surrounding issues related to the pandemic and would like to share his perspective. Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. No problem. Um, So the first question I have for you actually is, why were you reluctant to come on the show initially and why come under a fake name? Um, well, yeah, as you know, at first when you asked me, I thought, okay, yeah, why not? And then I actually said it to a few people like that I would do it. And they said, well, aren't you kind of in the last, uh, kind of rounds of an interview process for a company? It's probably not a great idea because if they were to stumble across it, it might impact your chances of getting the job. And then of course, as soon as they said that to me, I started to think, well, yeah, maybe, maybe that's true. You know, and I have reasons to believe, I think everybody knows it's very divisive and that there's very much a consensus, you know, formed. So if you were to deviate from that, you might, it might be frowned upon. And yeah, it could uh, decrease your chances of getting a job. I think like that's the whole no job, no job, all of that stuff. The fact that there is a catchphrase for that um, shows that like, yeah, there's, there's some danger there. And were you surprised to discover or to realize that this was actually a risk to talk and op- to speak openly about a subject like this, that it was going to be risky? I don't think I was that surprised because I think I don't have any history of ever speaking publicly on any topic, but I, from observing like any media or online exchanges, it's pretty clear that once anything goes out into public, there's not very much uh tolerant there's no subtlety it's not as if it seems pretty clear that things have to be very simplistic online and that there's very little tolerance for complexity or subtlety or you know people deviating from sort of whatever is considered orthodox you know i I know that already so even if like even i'm not on twitter or anything like even if it's if somebody's asking for opinions about the best kind of sandwich I'd, i'd be reluctant to contribute just because the way people are the way people seem to be online Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. would sort of dissuade me from engaging in that kind of thing generally. So I think yeah. I, I could be apprehensive as, as it is. And, and you mentioned uh, that you think that there's a kind of a consensus um, and that if someone breaks that consensus, that there may be consequences. Um, what is the, like, what would be, broadly speaking, in your mind, this consensus? Um, I think the main thing that's most noticeable, like I can give an example of the kind of thing that's informed my feeling about it. Like I saw on LinkedIn, somebody posted a poll saying, 
would you hire somebody if they were unvaccinated, if they told you they were unvaccinated? And like, I had to vote on it in order to get see the results, which is the way polls work on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I was pretty surprised to see how many people had said they wouldn't hire somebody, you know, if they'd chosen not to get vaccinated. It was about, it was more than a third. So it wasn't terrible. It wasn't like everybody was saying it, but it was, there were three options, right? So there was kind of a third saying they would, a third saying, as in they would hire, a third saying they wouldn't, you know, and a, and a third saying they weren't sure. But like, it, it was enough to show, right? If you're applying for a job and there's a third of people, not to say that that poll was representative of everybody, but it gives you a hint that you could be, you know, decreasing your chances by a third of getting the job if they happen to be of that persuasion. So you, are you saying that the consensus is that everything to do with the vaccine is good or something like that? Yeah, I mean, I think that is consensus, but more mm-hmm. what I'm saying, what I feel from that poll is that people have quite extreme, what I'd consider to be extreme views on it and that there's no discussion between the two, you know, the sides and there's really only one side put forward in mainstream and that that's accepted, which is that, yeah, vaccines are, everybody should be jabbed. And it's not just about vaccines, right? It's just about in general, a feeling that questioning or challenging the received wisdom about COVID in general is not going to um, show you in a good light. Okay. And where would you uh, situate yourself, for example, on um, how you view the government's handling of the pandemic? Do you think that your view is an outlier view or do you think your view is a mainstream view? I don't think my view is a mainstream view, but I, I feel like and the weird thing about mainstream is I don't think mainstream means majority. Like, I feel like most of my views aren't mainstream views. And yet I feel like most people I know might feel that most of their views aren't mainstream views. So, yeah, I mean, I think the idea that you would consider the government incompetent around matters of public health a few years ago would be totally normal. Like everybody would say, yeah, the government have a terrible record about public health. And now suddenly, if you start questioning that maybe they're making wrong decisions, uh, you know, or that, you know, the data they're using is a bit skewed or, you know, normal things, I would say, uh, yeah, there's a backlash, right? People people start to call you, people would consider that you're a conspiracy theorist and like ridiculous things. Um, and that's, I guess, how it, how it seems to be. How do you explain, or do you have any explanation for this sudden intolerance of criticism? I mean, why would it be that suddenly now it's not acceptable to criticize public policy? Yeah, I mean, it's because of the heightened stakes, I suppose, right? I mean, there's something going on there with collective welfare that people kind of want to band together to protect the collective welfare. And they've been fed a certain line about how to do that. And just because the stakes are higher, I think the intensity of, and and also the sort of reductionism, the simplicity that people want and the ferocity that they want to sort of defend the angle they've taken with is higher than usual. I mean, I think with the way things are going, things are getting more and more like that on every topic. But when you're added, it's amplified by high stakes, I would say. Yeah. um, And... To bring this back down to a more personal level, um, how would you say pandemic policies have impacted you and your family in a practical way? Probably similar to everybody else. I mean, there's a question there about 
inside that, which is, you know, do you have your COVID pass and how, how willing are you to play along with the various measures? I'm probably less willing to play along with some of them that I don't think, uh, that I haven't really seen evidence or compelling evidence make sense. But like, for example, mm-hmm. I think there's evidence that wearing masks and stuff on in public transport makes sense because you're in a confined space with people very close to you for a prolonged period of time. And there's lots of studies that you can find online that that will kind of show that that's when masking is possibly effective. But other things like, you know, walking through, like, and a good example is when I play football, you know, I have to just walk through the gym, just literally walk through the foyer kind of to get, it's about a five second walk. And there's a stickler mm-hmm. in there who, who wants you to put your mask on for that five second walk. And there's nobody else in there and he's behind the screen. Like that kind of stuff would drive you mad. I just feel that like, that's really stupid. And yes, you know, he's in a somewhat position of kind of very small power and he wants to, you know, impose that. Not that that's a big impact on my family life or anything, but that's just an example of the fact that that happens kind of in Mm -hmm. various places. You're kind of confronted with people who are, you know, wanting to get you to behave in a certain way that you don't, um, you want to. And then obviously travel and like, there are lots of times where, because my wife is from another country, you know, her parents would have seen our child less and traveling is more expensive if you have to do your testing and it's also more stressful. And even maybe her parents are, well, definitely disinclined to come to visit. Um, yeah. So that would be a big thing. Um, another simple one is like mm. we haven't had a holiday in what, about two years or something at this point. Yeah. Or, yeah. you know. Yeah. Which is more um, important than you think. Yeah, of course. But what do you think, what would you say to somebody who says, uh, well, the, the, regarding the masks, for example, they say, okay, we're not, we're not sure of exactly what effect they have, but sure, we might as well just to stay safe, we'll just wear them anyway. It's no skin off anyone's nose to, to wear a mask all the time. Like, what's the big deal, they'd say to someone like you? Um. Yeah, I think that's kind of nonsensical. Like, if you, this, I hear about this precautionary principle. Mm-hmm. So, like, you have, you can take precautions in every direction. You know, it's kind of like a paranoia. You should do things because there's a reasonable uh, amount of evidence to show that it's effective. Mm-hmm. I don't. No, I don't. Like, I, I, I just don't really buy that. But mainly, the thing you're saying that it's not bothersome to wear a mask. Yeah, of course, it's bothersome to wear a mask. It's not just that. It's people wearing a mask for when they don't have evidence to wear a mask is a real for me it just it's authoritarianism it, it's really a stings of that you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that people are mm-hmm. willing to just obey it's like obey even though you know when you go searching for the studies that back it up and when you go searching for the meta studies of all the various observational data that they've gathered and correlations between mask wearing and lower transmission all the things that you would expect to find you, you can't find them or you, you can't find really, you find bits and pieces as you always can, but it's not compelling. Yeah. And yeah, nobody wants to talk about that. And those people who challenge you, my experience has been very much that when you just calmly explain, you know, your stance on it, that, and I'm very much in the center. So like I said, I wear a mask on a but I'm not like anti-mask completely. I'm just sort of, I consider myself to be in the middle 
mm. that as soon as you engage them, they don't have, they haven't researched it. Like nobody, no, in general, I know it's very hard to research because yeah. it's, it's complex and there's so much to look mm. at, but they haven't at all. Yeah. Like they they yeah. wouldn't be able to even begin to tell you why other than we were told to do this. Yeah, it does seem to be a kind of blind faith or an uncritical faith in public authority. Um, and uh, to be honest, probably a few years ago, I would have put a lot more faith in public authority and I probably would have accepted a lot of the recommendations. But I think maybe what the difference is, is that before they were recommendations for the most part, but now they're actually obligatory binding coercive rules. So yeah. when someone coerces you to something, you start to ask questions and you start to wonder why, you know? Yeah, um, and there's also very much a sense that it's easier to generate consensus now. So if anybody has the money and the savvy to, you know, get mainstream media on board and do what they need to do on social media, you kind of feel as if getting the mob mentality pointing in the right direction is easy enough now that you have to be more skeptical of that. Like you can't just think, oh, well, sure, if everybody thinks this, I should think this. Like it, it, there's a need now to be more critical about that because it's just too easy. Yeah. I mean, an example of this is the NHS in the UK, which use a very, very visceral, emotionally visceral advertising campaign where they had people on, you know, on tu- intubated in hospitals, pictures of them, and then with a motto saying or a caption saying something like, uh, you know, uh, do you, do you, um, you will help, you will contribute to her death or something in some way if you don't comply with our rules, um, suggesting that you're basically compliance with their rules, connecting it directly with the death of an elderly person um, is a way of manipulating people's emotions. Um, and it doesn't provide any rational argument as such. It goes directly to the emotion of guilt um, so I saw a lot of that, and, and in that sense, I do think there's a kind of a that that makes me suspicious when those kinds of messages are being sent out all the time. Um, yeah, and the suspicion, because normally, like regards your question about how it impacts you, if things impact you and you feel as if you're doing it for a good cause and that it's helping to reduce, you know, infections and the death rate and case rate and everything, of course you're perfectly happy to go along with it. But mm-hmm. it's the feeling, it's that suspicion that things are getting lost and that the the big warning bell is that you can't even discuss it you know that people are reluctant to even get into the details that's that's the thing that makes me most suspicious just the fact that things are closed off and people don't want to enter into a discussion about whether it's right or wrong yeah now on the vaccine pass issue uh in your i guess in your everyday life um do you find that you cannot go to a restaurant or a coffee shop or a bar because you don't have, uh, I mean, because you don't have a vaccine pass? Does that prevent you from having access to social venues? Yeah, I mean, obviously, if people invite you out or whatever, I just say, like, just tell them, well, I don't have a vaccine pass. But there's a kind yeah. of a degree to which the pubs have been open for a while now, and I haven't uh, really, obviously, been able to take advantage of that. But yeah, I mean, I don't know how long it's going to go on, but to kind of feel I'm kind of in head in the sand moment uh, at the moment mode at the moment to just wait it out. Even if you're not dying to go to a pub right now, um, the fact that you know that even if you wanted to go, you couldn't. Um, does that does that affect you, or do you feel resentful about that, or 
do you feel that there's in any way indignant about not being able to access these venues under the Vax Pass rules? Okay, um, I think because I have a young child, I probably yeah. am sufficiently distracted, uh, you know, between that and work stuff to not like obviously you feel it and subconsciously I'm sure like it has an effect. I'm, mm. I would say I'm definitely more, what's more annoying to me is that when you explain to somebody, like if I explain to somebody, look, I'm not vaccinated because the age group I'm in isn't at risk as far as I'm concerned because I'm healthy and I don't mm-hmm. have an underlying condition and so on. Yeah. And then the ne- their next point would be, yeah, well, you have to help people to not spread the, tra- you know, not, not get other people infected, uh, to which I'll reply, okay, but the reduction in transmission, even the reported reduction in transmission from vaccines isn't sufficient, as far as I'm concerned, to make that impactful. Like, yeah. it's not, it doesn't persuade me whatsoever that I'm a risk to other people because yeah. it's the reduction. I mean, there's different... There's a couple of different studies saying what the level of reduction is, but it's by no means a case that you're taking the vaccine and then you can't transmit. Uh, no, it's not. Yeah. And I have friends, like so many friends vaccinated who've got COVID. So it's that's borne out by uh, my like sort of first person experience. So yeah. and I'm, my point is that when you try and explain that, and it's, it seems reasonable to me, Mm. there's a sort of a like eyes glazing over like oh you're one of them you know this sort of divisive attitude they don't want to enter into it you, they don't yeah. want to listen they don't want to listen to those just pretty reasonable points that's yeah. like that would that gets that gets my back up more sure. than not being able to go for a pint at the moment also when you're in a situation in Ireland where nearly 95% of people are vaccinated and they're still at high alert and you know the case rates are like, it's clear that it's not working like it's yeah. clear that the vaccine yeah. doesn't do that and the transmission is still happening. And, you know, all of the stuff they said about when we get 90%, it'll be the end of it. You know, the, none of that was correct. So yeah. it, I think we're all justified in thinking, okay, we need to look into this ourselves a little bit and try and decide whether or not any of this adds up. But the question is, the government has access, presumably, to the same data that we have access and they have experts who are able to look at this and um, and so they'd be full, fully aware that vaccine passes would at best have a marginal effect on transmission levels in the community. Well, you say so, that, right? But they, you'd have to discuss that with them because they're definitely saying that it has a major impact. They're implying anyway that it's having a major impact. So there's something strange going on there where people, even the data that's put out, like let's say I go through sometimes what the CSO puts out and... Yeah. You're trying to get like a stratified view of what, you know, what the vaccine, what the vaccinated age groups versus, you know, their particular case rates, their particular death rates are. Yeah. It's very hard to find. And and then sometimes you can't find it. But you, if you see a report in the newspaper, it'll never say, you know, when they talk about unvaccinated, it'll never say, oh, 90 percent of them were over 70 or 90 percent of them had underlying conditions or, you know, like various things that are hugely have a massive mm. bearing on the context that they just don't bother with. And I think the government, because the government you'd expect to be intelligent enough and to be involved enough to be looking at that seriously, are answerable there. But the, but the media don't want to make them answerable. There's a huge, that's a big problem. If the media aren't saying to the government, look, we know this, you're not mentioning this in your, you know, their PR uh, conferences or whatever, when they're doing their releases, they're not mentioning no. these issues. So. Somebody needs to hold them accountable, and it, and it really feels like nobody's going to. There's, when you think about it, it's not really 
it's not surprising when mm-hmm. something's quite complicated and I'm sure they have behaviorists on the Neffet panel or you know whoever is informing their decisions telling them oh you don't want to get into the nitty gritty here and and sow the seeds of doubt you just want to have a simple message you know that's what they'll that's what they're probably being told so I can kind of understand that my mm-hmm. my issue is more it's the it's journalists that should be you know making them answerable and like some it's somebody else really's job should have the job of making sure that if they're being incompetent they're being held to account and that's the thing that seems to be missing it doesn't really surprise me that they're being incompetent what does kind of mm-hmm. surprise me is that nobody is highlighting the incompetence and and asking questions and trying to press them on it and without that you're basically just handing them a free a free pass to do whatever the hell incompetent thing they want to do and do you think it's possible that so many governments could have gotten so many important things wrong i mean say for example the lockdown has been imposed across much of the Western world. Uh, All the evidence I've looked at so far um, is weak for the efficacy of lockdowns at reducing infections uh, in the medium to long term. Mortality rates are not improved by stricter lockdowns, according to literature I've seen. Um, Governments don't seem to make much effort to justify the lockdowns in terms of impact assessments. In fact, governments have not even done any public impact assessments of the lockdowns in, in the whole two years of the pandemic, nearly two years, uh, and yet they've continued to uh, impose those lockdowns. I mean, does that not speak to malice or to some form of bad faith? The thing is, it's really, really complicated. Mm. And, you know, you have, when you're looking at studies, you're looking at studies authored by various doctors and, you know, there are studies that contradict each other everywhere. So there's, it's very hard for me to know whether or not even they are wrong. I know because you're obviously, you've decided that they're wrong. Um, I, I'm i not sure because I just, you, like I said, you've you've looked into it more and decided. Whereas I think for the average person, once you lose trust in what the government are saying, well, that what that does is create this huge burden of research that you would have to do to try and make up your mind yourself. And most yeah. people don't have time for that in their normal life or inclination. And I'd be a little bit in that. I, I I have done a lot more than I should have, I think, because I really felt the need to kind of figure it out for myself. Yeah. But yeah. Not sufficient to be able to say with confidence that all of the governments of the Western world are completely off track. I, because I like maybe maybe they're right. My issue, I have one certain issue with the whole thing, mm-hmm. and it's this: is this kind of closing off of the space to discuss it even in, you know, just normal people to just in figure it out for themselves, like have a discourse on it and learn about it, that that's all gone. It just seems to be, it's really totalitarian now. Here's the messaging and they've somehow successfully created an, uh, an atmosphere where you, you shouldn't challenge anything. That That's mm. my problem. So even if they are right in the end, um, which I doubt, yes, I do doubt it, and everybody makes mistakes. And it's, like I said, it's not as if the government have a great track record in public health. Um, so it's likely that there certainly are mistakes there. So, I mean, as to then, how could it be that all the governments um, make the same mistakes? I think there is a point where they double down because it's very hard for any government to admit that they're wrong. Yeah. And so I think the large part of the reason why yeah. it could it could happen that they're all wrong would be that they just 
they simply can't afford to try and do a U-turn. Yeah, I think there's a lot, a lot to that. I also think that um, it's it's for me, it's not whether or not they worked that bothers me so much. Um, it's just the fact that governments, almost no Western government, to my knowledge, has actually undertaken any kind of impact assessment, serious impact assessment of this measure. This is like one of the most impactful social experiments that a government has undertaken in the 20th century. Um, I mean, it, it's up there uh, as one of the most systematic society-wide interventions. Yeah, no, that um, is, it is crazy that they have, so, I mean- So how is company, it even possible that they have any, not undertaken that? I don't know, I don't, that's a weird one. If any company like tried to do such a large project and didn't do a cost-benefit analysis, you know, the person who's who's heading up the project would be gone. You know, that's yeah. ridiculous. But um, yeah, I, I don't know why. And I mean, that's I, that's that's why that's why I at least have a hard time continuing to believe in their good faith. It's because they haven't even made an effort to justify these kinds of systematic interventions. I'm going to wrap up with this question. I think, um, <clears throat> I think it's. Well, I mean, I guess I'm not going to put words in your mouth. I, I, I personally do think that there is a clear drift towards a more authoritarian style of governance where you exclude certain citizens from public venues based on their vaccination status, uh, where there's is a kind of a surveillance state, where there's more use of coercion um, in the name of public health. And I guess the big question is, the big question for me is, is this drift indicative of a long-term uh, degradation in democracy and in freedom? Or is it just a blip that we'll be laughing about, so to speak, in three years? I don't know. Um, Are you I worried think... about the future? I guess that's my real question. Are you worried about the future? Um, I, everybody's worried about the future to some degree. I suppose, uh, regards the drift towards authoritarianism, I think I want to believe that because it's an emergency, at least it's being put forward as an emergency, that you could say, okay, these kind of authoritarian measures are being put in place in order to get through this period and that when it's over, we can go back to valuing civil liberties and things. Um, as to how worried I am that that won't happen, yeah, I think that there'll, be a, there'll definitely be some degree because there's always interests at play like there are power plays going on under the surface of these kind of things all the time so there are people who, who will have gained ground legislatively and in other ways that are going to hold on to that ground as well as they can um and that's worrying and maybe just in general there's been a drift in the last while it's not even to do with the pandemic where we see corporations getting larger and larger and having a lot more influence over public life and over i would say having more power than governments, you know, over people's lives. Mm -hmm. And that's maybe a different discussion because it's, I, I wouldn't call that a drift toward authoritarianism. It's its something else. Maybe technocracy is the word that mm -hmm. that's, that's probably the drift. That's a bit more worrying. There's, there's no knowing to me, sorry, it doesn't really relate maybe to what you want to discuss. No, but I think they're related. To, yeah. To me, that's the aspect that's, you can really see a trend in without the excuse of, COVID, you know, whereas regards governments getting more uh, authoritarian, well, there's that excuse, which means there's a hope that, you know, they put sunset clauses on all of these uh, le le pieces of legislation that curb 
civil liberties and that, you know, when the sunset clauses arrive, they eventually won't extend them. <laughs> like, I do have that hope. Yeah. I imagine a lot of people expect that there will be an end and that then maybe things can go back to a semblance of normality. That's my hope. But the technocracy thing, I don't really see such a simple end to that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess I do see the technocracy and authoritarianism issues as interconnected, mainly because uh, a lot of coercive measures have been justified on technocratic grounds, on, on the grounds of expert expert judgment and expert advice. The, the Vax passes are a perfect example because they're a form of health surveillance, essentially, um, that is essentially in, in practice coercive because they deny important public important goods to people important forms of social participation um, if they don't comply. So for me, it's it's a de facto form of coercion, even if the police are not dragging you in to get your vaccine. Uh, I mean, t- telling you that you can't go to your workplace or you can't go to, in Ireland, it's not the case for the workplaces, but in other countries it is. In Italy, for example, you have to test every two days if you want to go to work. Uh, so Yeah, I think it, it, they're very related, especially in that way that, People in power are getting a lot cleverer now in sort in the way of being soft about affecting people's behavior, so that mm-hmm. you know it doesn't feel as if they're being really restricted as much as they are. And they the, the way of pushing people softly towards the behavior that they want. I mean, you see that even when you're just a subscriber with some account, you know how there's gentle incentives to do this and that. And you know, I think that that is starting to seep into government a little bit, kind of clever ways of controlling people without them really realising exactly how much they're being controlled. Absolutely. The UK already has nudge units. There are so-called nudge units that actually work for the government that that help to Mm. promote certain forms of behaviour in these kinds of indirect ways. Um, Yeah, and that to me is less, it's not, I guess, there's authoritarianism underneath it, but that's really technocracy. That's insidious uh, sort of power that's growing is the bigger concern maybe yeah um well i think we're, we're probably running out of time here so we're going to close here um i just like to say thanks to liam for coming on and sharing his views on these on these important questions um and we hope you'll come on again sometime in the near future yeah thanks it was nice to talk about it all.